Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. It's been a couple weeks, I guess, since I've been here, so we're going to turn back to Acts chapter 9. And I would love to get finished with Acts 9 today, but I probably won't. But we've been in Acts chapter 9 a while. And I love Acts chapter 9, and I told you this, when we started Acts chapter 9, for us in this room, this is probably one of, if not the most important chapters in the Bible, because all of us in this room are Gentiles, and the Apostle Paul here, of course, this is a story of his conversion, and this is a story of Jesus Christ sending him out to the Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you and I are here because of this story and what's in our Bible here in Acts chapter 9. So we've primarily been talking through that and been talking through Saul's conversion and what God did there and how it took place and just the significance of that and how it impacted later on his writing and his ministry and everything else. And we just saw the darkness that had overtaken him. And I told you about him. I mean, we definitely know that Satan had filled his heart, but he could have even been demon-possessed with some of the language here in Acts chapter 9. But he was definitely led by demons to do what he was doing. And then, of course, he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus where he was going to persecute, destroy any way he could the church. And so it's just an incredible story there of just God's grace and God's salvation and how we are saved. And so we've been looking through that story, and now we're just going to kind of continue the story about what happens after that conversion. So that's what we're going to kind of focus on today. And then really what we're going to see is we're just going to see the Word of God lived out. That's what we're going to see. And so really through the rest of the book of Acts, that's what we're going to see. The Word of God lived out. And so here's a question for you this morning. As you, all of you, I think, have a Bible, how important is that Bible to you? How important is God's Word to you? Now think about it for a second, but how important is it to you? I'll even take it from a larger view, just us as a church, even us as like a denomination, Southern Baptist. Have you ever heard this phrase, we are people of the book? Have you ever heard that? Or we stand upon the Word of God, or we believe in the Word of God. We believe it's the infallible, the inspired, the inerrant Word of God. All these different words we give it, and we say, we believe it. Okay, here's the question. Do we really believe it? Okay? Individually, you can say yes, I hope. Okay, do we believe that as a whole from the church? Well, let's just, okay, can we say we believe that as a whole from a denomination? It's Southern Baptist. I mean, you read the Baptist faith and message. Do you know where the whole Baptist faith and message starts? Do you know what it starts with? The Holy Scripture. And then everything flows out of that. Okay, that's where the Baptist faith and message starts, and then it starts about God and Jesus and Holy Spirit and everything, but it all starts there with Scripture. Why? Because how are we going to know who God is without it? We can't, right? We can't know anything. Okay, but are we people of the book? Do we believe in this book? Okay. Okay, just, okay, and I'll, let me just, here's another question. Okay, one verse of Scripture. I talk about this verse a lot. But there's a reason I talk about this verse, because I don't believe that people believe this verse. Okay, John 14, 12. Jesus speaking. 
Not Paul, not Peter, not James, nobody else. Jesus himself speaking. Okay, this is what Jesus Christ says. He says, I tell you the truth. Now, is he lying to you? No. No? Jesus didn't lie, right? He's sinless. He's spotless. He's the perfect son of God. Jesus Christ himself. I'm telling you the truth. Okay, this is what he says. This is the truth. Anyone, okay, is that excluding anybody? Nope. This is not for a certain group of people. This is not for preachers, apostles, pastors, believers. Anyone, right? Anyone who believes in me. Okay, anyone who believes in me will do the same things I have done and even greater things than I have done because I am going to be with the Father in heaven. Ask me for anything, anything, and I will do it so I can bring glory to my Father. Okay, Jesus says that, right? Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Okay, I didn't ask that. I didn't ask if he said it. We can believe he said it, but do we believe what he said? Okay, you believe it's possible. If Jesus said it, that's it. Okay, well, let's take it. I'm going to take it out of this room. Do you think we is a church or denomination believe that okay here's a question before i started preaching here how many of you have ever heard that verse preached or talked about or shared or applied to your life because what do we do with verses like this we sweep under the carpet or we explain them away and we try to come up with a scenario how, well, Jesus was talking about this and really not that. Or Jesus really wasn't talking about us. He was talking about a certain period of time and all that junk ended, so we don't have to worry about that. But did Jesus say that? He said what? Anyone who believes in me. Doesn't say the apostle, any apostle who believes in me. Doesn't even say any of the 12 disciples who believe in me. Any of the early church who believes in me. Anyone who believes in me will do the same things I have done and even greater things because I'm going to be with the Father in heaven. Okay, are we people of the book? I hope you are. But here's the point. To be people of the book, guess what you've got to be? People all of the book. You don't get to pick and choose what you're part of and what you believe and what you don't believe. You believe it or you don't. I don't understand how we get to pick and choose what we believe and what we don't believe. Okay, And so if Jesus said it, I think it's important that we believe it. Okay, so in Acts chapter 9, the rest of Acts chapter 9, after Saul's conversion, we're going to see two stories, really, of two men who lived this verse. They lived it. Now, I guess the question for us, if we believe, I believe this verse, okay, how is this verse possible? Okay, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's how Jesus lived his life, right? We know that. We'll see it when we get to Acts chapter 10. Peter says this. Peter says that Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 10, 38, and then he went around doing all the things that you see in his word. But he not only did it through the power of the Holy Spirit, he did it because he was obedient to the Father. 
How many times did Jesus say, I came to do the will of the Father. I will only do what the Father tells me to do. I am here because of the Father. So you can't have one without the other. You can't have the filling of the Holy Spirit of God without obedience to what God says. And here's the whole point. You can't be obedient to what God says without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, you can't because, number one, you don't even know what he says about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, and his job is salvation. Then you can be obedient and live out the Word of God when you're filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation and then do what God's Word says. And so the whole point of this, this is all our sanctification. Okay? Now, what is sanctification biblically? When I say sanctify, what does that mean? set apart, being made holy, who's that like? Okay, is that Christ, right? So sanctification is just God making us like someone. Who's he making us like? Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29. That's sanctification. He's just making us. He chose us to become like his son. That's what Romans 8, 29 says. So we are just becoming like his son. That's sanctification. So who was his son? Well, his son was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If you don't believe that, go read Luke 4, okay? Luke 4 is all about the Holy Spirit of God and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's Luke 4, 14. So he was always filled with the Holy Spirit of God and worked through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was always doing the will of the Father. So what is sanctification for you and for me? Same thing, right? If he's making us like his son, that's what it is. Okay, I've been talking. I'm not going to go through the filling of the Holy Spirit because I've been talking a lot about that, a whole lot about that. But I want you to see the obedience side because this is just important. Again, you can't have one without the other. So just listen. Y'all know this verse, but just listen to it. These verses in Philippians 2 because Paul's telling us exactly who Jesus Christ is here. Philippians 2, talking about Jesus. Though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Now, who are we talking about? Well, Jesus, right? Of course, it's pretty obvious we're talking about Jesus. Okay, this is what Paul goes on to say. Listen to this. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So who was Jesus? Was he obedient to God? Yes. He was obedient to God. He lived a life of obedience through humility. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every name, that every name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every he, knee and on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, why did God do that for Jesus? Because he was obedient. He humbled himself in obedience to God the Father. So what is sanctification? Humbling yourself in obedience to God the Father through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you're sanctified. Now, here's the only thing I don't like about sanctification. There's a lot I don't like about it, by the way, but this is the main thing I don't like about it because I'm impatient. Sanctification takes time. Unfortunately, for some of us, it takes a lot longer than others. 
But wouldn't it be great when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord that you were immediately made like him and you became the image of the invisible God, just like Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? If you were immediately like Jesus Christ. Boy, that'd be great. How many of you did that happen? Hey, I'll put your hands in your pockets. Because it didn't. Sanctification takes time. Now, here's a great question. Why does it take time? Humility is really difficult. Because who are we, especially apart from Christ? We're prideful. Because if you want to know the root of sin, it is pride. Every sin you got, it goes back to pride. Okay? So humility takes time. But what else does humility take? How, I mean, just how are we sanctified? How does the sanctification process work? It takes feeding of the Word. Very much. It takes the Word of God. And you know why it takes the Word of God? Because to be obedient to God, how are you going to be obedient to Him if you don't know what He says? You can't. So it definitely takes the Word of God. You know what else it takes? Definitely the Holy Spirit. But this is what it takes in our lives, and I don't like this either. It takes suffering. It takes persecution. Is that Jesus? He's the what servant? He's the suffering servant. Was Jesus persecuted? Okay, let's look at this story. Because I want you to see sanctification in Paul's life. So look there. Just look at verse 19 there. Because this is kind of where we ended. This is after Saul is saved. After he meets and talks with Ananias. Verse 19. Afterward. So after that whole ordeal. He ate some food and he regained his strength. Then it goes on to say this. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Now remember, who was Saul going to persecute in Damascus? Believers. And that's why Ananias, the leader of the believers there, didn't want to go to Saul when God said, go to this man named Saul, do this for him. You tell him that you came from me, lay hands on him, and tell him about the Holy Spirit, pray for him. So in, And I was like, I ain't doing that, but he did it. And then I, evidently he took him back to the other believers and told them what happened. So he stayed there for a few days. Then verse 20, And immediately he, Paul, began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. Now I'm not telling you that Saul here is exactly like Jesus Christ, but I'm telling you he's acting like Jesus Christ and doing what Jesus Christ said. Do you know in Luke 4.14, right after Jesus came out of the desert, came out of the 40 days of temptation, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, do you know what the very first thing he did? He started teaching in their synagogues. That's what the Bible says. Okay, what's the very first thing that Saul does after he receives Jesus Christ? Well, he ate some food first, but then right after that, what did he do? He started preaching in their synagogues. Then verse 21, all who heard him were amazed. Why? 
Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them in chains to the leading priest? So that's exactly why Saul went there. He went to arrest them, to kill them, do anything he could to stop the work. Now he's in their synagogues teaching Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with power. And God is already using him to fulfill what he says in Acts 1.8. So is Paul living out the word of God in obedience? Yes. Is that not what we're all supposed to do in obedience to God's word? Yes. So if you believe that, why don't you do that? Okay? That's a question for you, not for me to answer, not even for you to answer out loud. But why aren't you doing that? Look at verse 22, because this is some things I want you to see here that you'll understand. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute the proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Now, here's a question about verse 22. Why was his preaching becoming more powerful? It's because he was getting better at it, because he was doing it more, because he was practiced up. Why? No, it's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's doing in obedience what God called him to do. And when those two things combine, we're unstoppable because we live out the words of Jesus in John 14, 12. If you believe in me, you will do the same things I did on this earth and even greater things. Is Paul at this point doing the same things as Jesus? Yes. He is. Exact same things as Jesus. Did Jesus not go teach in their synagogues? Yep. Could people refute what he said? Nope. He's living out Jesus' life, doing what Jesus said. Okay, now I want you to look here because I want to explain this to you just so you understand this because just reading Acts chapter 9, you'll miss this. Okay, verse 23 it says there, after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. Okay, what other translations we have in here for that verse, verse 23? Anybody else? King. What does King James say? King James. What is, now, after many days will After many days. Okay, just do that one. Anybody else got another translation? Just first few letters or words of Acts 9.23. John? Says, after many days. After many days. Okay, when many days elapsed. After a tie, a while, after some time, after many days, after time elapsed. Now, when you read that, what do you think? What are many days to you? What is a while? What is some time? Yeah, I mean, we, you really think, oh, well, a few days, then this happened, right? That, in our mind, that's just kind of how we read this story. Well, do you know how long that many days or after a while is right here? It's three years. Okay, it's three years. It's not a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. It's three years. Okay, and I know you're thinking, well, John, how in the world do you know that? <laughs> well, guess how I know that? Jesus well, it is partial Jesus' ministry, but Paul tells us. Well, no, but Galatians, we'll turn to Galatians 1 so you can know too. So turn to Galatians 1, because in Galatians 1, of course, Paul's writing to the church there. And I just want you to see what he says. So 
so you can know what this is talking about and kind of the timeline here because it is important as we go on through the rest of the book of Acts. So you, Galatians 1. So just turn over a few books, find Corinthians and go over 2 Corinthians and Galatians. And then look at verse 11. Because this is Paul just telling kind of what happened, giving his testimony here. See there? Okay. This is what he says. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I receive my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Okay, now this is going to be really important later on in the book of Acts and later on throughout the whole Bible. Okay, so who taught Paul the Bible? Who taught him about Christianity? Who taught him how to follow? Who taught him? Jesus, Jesus did. Okay, this is important. We'll keep reading. Okay, verse 13. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. What was he like? He was demonic. That's what he was like. And how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to who? The Gentiles, you and me. Thank God for that. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before. Now, where's he going to go right after verse 23 in Acts 9? Do you know? Well, right there in verse 23, he's going to Jerusalem. Okay? So keep reading. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. So this is between verse 22 and 23. This whole time period is between those two verses. Where is he in verse 22? Damascus. Where is he in verse 23? We're going to read in just a minute. He goes to Jerusalem. Okay, this is where he is. This is what it says, verse 18. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met with at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. Okay, so you probably don't know this, but Arabia is a desert. Okay, so for three years, Paul was in a desert. Now, for 40 days before Jesus' ministry, where was he? In a desert. And what was God doing in that desert, even for Jesus Christ? He was preparing him for his ministry, his earthly ministry, what he was about to do. Because we know that, because who led him into the desert? Luke 4.4. The Holy Spirit took him by the hand and led him into the desert. Then he was in the desert for 40 days, for 40 nights, where he fasted. He was, of course, tempted by Satan. And then he overcame those temptations through what? The Word of God. Three really obscure passages in Deuteronomy, by the way. Think about what we got that Jesus didn't have. We got the Word of God. We got a lot more than he had. But he just used three obscure verses in Deuteronomy to defeat Satan. And then he comes out of the desert in verse 14, 
filled not only with the Holy Spirit, but with the Holy Spirit's power. So in those 40 days, God prepared him for his earthly ministry. So what did he do for Saul at this point? He prepared him for his ministry, for his missions. And how did he do it? Jesus Christ came and taught him. I know you're thinking, that can't be what happened, right? I mean, you're thinking that. Well, he didn't do that for me. Why don't he do that for me? Wouldn't it be better if I have Jesus Christ standing here teaching you than me? Well, yeah, it would be better, but you ain't got that because you're not the Apostle Paul. But turn over in Acts, go back to Acts, and turn over to Acts 22. Because I want you to see what God says, and I want you to see what happened in the desert there in Arabia. Because Acts 22, this is, of course, right after Acts 21, and Paul is being persecuted in Acts 21 by the Jews who persecuted Jesus. The Jews, by the way. And so they persecute him, they arrest him, and now Paul is standing before those who arrested him, and he's given his testimony. So Acts 22, 11, are you there? Acts 22? Hopefully you had your page mark, but Acts 22. So this is Paul recounting what happened. He says, I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. So this is the Damascus Road experience in Acts 9. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews in Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight, and at that very moment, I could see. Now, we read that in Acts chapter 9, right? So he just recounted. This is his testimony. But look at verse 14. These verses are important. This is then Ananias taught to Saul. He said, Then Ananias told me, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. Now, Acts 9 doesn't tell us that. Luke does not record that in Acts chapter 9, that Ananias says that. But God told Ananias to tell Saul, Saul, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to see Jesus and you're going to hear him speak. Where did that take place? In the desert, in Arabia. Because for three years, Saul was there being prepared for his earthly ministry. Now, what was this like? I have no idea what this was like. I don't know if Jesus Christ was sitting across from him face to face, training him, teaching him. I don't know what that was like. I don't know if he was just hearing the voice like he did on Acts chapter 9 because he heard a voice from heaven, right? And who was the voice? Jesus said, this is Jesus whom you're persecuting. So I don't know if it's like that. I have no idea what Arabia was like for Saul. But I know, according to these verses, he went to Arabia and he met with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ prepared him. Now let's think about some other apostles and other disciples. Just take Peter, for example. We're going to read about him at the end of Acts chapter 9. How long did he spend with Jesus on this earth? Roughly three years, right? Okay. Now, did Peter get everything he needed in three years with Jesus? Ooh, no, he didn't. So we know about Peter's sanctification a lot. But he didn't have Paul's background either. Well, in, he didn't have Paul's background in Scripture, but he wasn't demon-possessed either. <laughs> I mean, you got a lot of things you can say about anybody in sanctification. But really, Jesus spent the same amount of time with Saul that he did with his other disciples. 
And I remember, I told you this, but I don't know if you remember because it's way back in Acts chapter 1. But do you remember in Acts chapter 1 when the disciples were praying in the upper room waiting on the Holy Spirit? Do you remember at the end of Acts 1 what they did? They got ahead of God. They said, we got to find another disciple because you know what Judas did? So how did they find the other disciple? Well, they couldn't decide. So let's throw some lots. Let's throw some dice so we can figure out who needs to be the next disciple. Do you really think that was godly? That's where Bunko came from. That's where Bunko came from? That's true. That's why y'all are throwing dice Thursday night. But they got ahead of God, did they not? Do you? Re- and I'm not trying to diss on Matthias here. I don't want to give him a bad name. Where else do we see Matthias in the rest of God's Word? We don't. Who was the 12th disciple or the 12th apostle? It's Paul. Okay? They got ahead of Jesus. What did Jesus tell them to do? He didn't say, go to Jerusalem and throw dice for one more disciple because I can't decide myself. Y'all go do it, and then we'll figure that out later, and then I'll send my Holy Spirit. Did Jesus say that? No. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And what are you waiting for? The Holy Spirit of God. You're waiting for the Holy Spirit. You're waiting for the Holy Spirit. You're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They did a pretty good job waiting for the Holy Spirit. They prayed, but they didn't do a great job because they also threw dice for another disciple. When the whole time Jesus chose a man before his birth, right? To take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And his name was Saul. And then Jesus spent three years with this man teaching him. And you wonder why he chose him to write the Word of God in the New Testament, the vast majority of it. It's because he was chosen, and he was an instrument of God, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that because his preaching became more powerful. We know that because Ananias laid hands on him and said, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But here's something else Saul was. He was obedient to what Jesus Christ said. What Jesus Christ said to do, what did Saul do? He did it. Now, he wasn't perfect, and we're going to read a lot about his imperfections because there's a lot of imperfections. But God was sanctifying him. Do you know how he was sanctifying him? Same way he sanctifies you and me. Through his word, Jesus spoke it to him. Through persecution, about to read some of that. (coughs) But you know what God told Ananias in Acts chapter 9? I'll read it to you. But he told, he told Ananias something about Paul because basically he said, I'm going to have to show him how much he's going to have to suffer for my name. And that's how Paul became more like Jesus Christ, through suffering. And unfortunately, for you and me, sanctification many times takes the same path. Because that's the only way God can get our attention. That's the only way that we tend to trust Him rather than ourselves, Is it not? Well, maybe you're better than me, but when everything's going good in my life, I tend to get pretty cocky and tend to get pretty reliant on John. But when I'm suffering, when I'm hurting, and when I have no hope, guess where I turn? I turn to the Lord. And I turn to him for help. And is that not every testimony in this room? Well, you're lying if it's not. That's just the way we are. 
So God uses suffering, he uses persecution to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus Christ. We'll just keep reading, we'll keep reading, because I'm already out of time. I had a lot more to say. But look at verse 23, just see what happens. After a while, or after three years in Arabia is what it should say there, but Luke's just telling the story. The Jews plotted together to kill him. Now, what did they do to Jesus? Did they not plot together to kill him? Of course they did. That's all through the Gospels. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. And look at verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Now remember, this is three years after the fact. Okay, they're still afraid of him. He still had a reputation. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Now, the, oh, verse 27 is important for the rest of Acts. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and all that had happened and the Lord had spoken to Saul. He told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Now, here's a great question. I'll end on this and I'll come back. How did Barnabas know all this? Okay, Saul had been in Arabia for how many years? Was Barnabas in Arabia with him? Nope. Was Barnabas in Damascus? Nope. So how did Barnabas know? Holy Spirit. I mean, I told you a lot about Barnabas, but Barnabas' name ain't Barnabas. It's Joseph. That's his real name. But his name means son of the paraclete. John 14, Jesus says, I will send you someone. The paraclete. That's the Holy Spirit, of course, and he will encourage you, and he'll do all these things in John 14. Well, Barnabas, his name is son of the Holy Spirit, literally. That's what his name means. We translate it son of encouragement because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He encourages us. He brings us ministry from God and blessings from God. So he probably knew this from the Holy Spirit telling him, but I think there's another way to know. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is it not evident? Or maybe a better way to say it, should it not be evident? It should be evident. Okay, if you receive Jesus, what else do you receive? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, that's Ephesians 1. Okay, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, what are you going to bear? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Regulations for that, okay? But you are going to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Did Jesus bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is just who Jesus was. So you're going to look like Jesus Christ. There is going to be a difference in you. So do you think Saul's appearance changed? I think his whole appearance, his countenance, everything about him changed. But not only that, what does it say there? He did what God said. Barnabas saw him doing what God said. He preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So not only should it be evident through your countenance, through your personality, through every aspect of your life that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it should be evident through your obedience to Jesus Christ and doing what he says. Correct? So can I judge if you're a Christian or not? You better believe I can judge if you're a Christian or not. Anybody that says I can't doesn't know their Bible because I can see Christ in you through the fruit of the Holy Spirit and your obedience to this word. And if I don't see that, guess what it tells me? You're either far away from God or you ain't a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what it tells me. Does it not? Of course it does. 
That's how Barnabas knew. It wasn't a mystery. It's not because he was so filled with the Holy Spirit and we're not. It's because he had eyes and he had discernment and he could judge for himself. Man, this guy's really changed. He really believes in Jesus Christ. No longer is he going to destroy the church, but he's filled with peace and with joy and with love. He's patient. Now, sometimes he's not because we're going to see a lot of that in the Bible, but he's more patient than he was. He was not perfect, but he's bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And he's the very image of God because that's who we are as image bearers of Jesus. I mean, we know that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. Well, guess what? Jesus is no longer here, so who did he leave on this earth to be the visible image of the invisible God? You and me. And you should be able to see it. Correct? If you're a visible image of Jesus, I should be able to see it, and you should be able to see it for me. Correct? And I believe Barnabas says, see it in Saul. And that's how he told the church, hey, he really changed. He's a believer now. Trust him. And then Barnabas is going to do a lot for Paul. We're going to see that the rest through the Acts. But I hope, if you take nothing else from this, I hope that you have evidence in your life that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.